Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome down to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. A pleasure to have your company on this episode. Can't wait to get into it with you and with series regular Minnesota Jack paddling his Viking longship into the telephone. We'll break down our trip down to the Vic Bowl 35. We'll talk NFL. We'll even give you a wrap-up of where Minnesota Jacks, Washington Redskins, and my Buffalo Bills are in our respective Madden seasons. All of that and more. We've got over an hour of content for you. So let's get into it. The JBFE with Minnesota Jack. And now, ladies and gentlemen, joining us all the way from the wastelands of the north where the sun never shines and the mead is always warm and the fire crackles in the hearth and Thor thunders overhead. All the way from Viking land, it's Minnesota Jack. How are you, Minnesota Jack? I'm good. How are you? I am sensational and looking forward to recapping some football with you today. I still haven't got you an intro jingle, but I figure my announcement of your arrival is enough at this point. It's good, man. I hope you're feeling sufficiently pumped up. Um, so first of all, how uh, on a scale of one to 10, mm-hmm. uh, with one being, uh, uh, filthy interception in the end zone and 10 being winning the Super Bowl. How was your football weekend? I'd say it's probably around a six or a seven, maybe a seven, if I that's go through the games that I watched. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think mine would be, yeah, around that seven, seven and a half mark as well, made all the better by the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers mm-hmm. had a win, which was nice, but... Before we dig into any of that, before we dig into the NFL and, and then the real stuff, obviously a recap of where our Madden seasons are at because that's oh, yeah, what boy. everyone... That's the one. Yeah. I mean, that's all the premium Madden content. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just give a shout out to our sponsors. Absolutely flipping nobody. Yes. You know, this episode brought to we you... We take money from no one. That's right. Renegades. True renegades uh, who answer to no one. And who don't make a cent from this escapade that I spend a lot of time making notes over, recording over. Um, but who cares? It's football. Self-funded, so, man. It's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, before, as I said, before we get into all the pro football action and the uh, personal football action... I I know just just as a bit of a tease for those listening, Minnesota Jack I know is currently wrapped up in a absolutely um, butt clenchingly tight race for the playoffs in his current Madden season. It's enthralling, uh, and we can't wait to to break down all that and, and hear what drama has been unfolding there. Uh, but first. Let's get into the experience from Sunday just gone. We're a little bit late getting to this, but life 
gets in the way of football. <laughs> but we didn't let life get in the way of football on Sunday, where you and I travelled down via automobile to the 35th Vic Bowl and witnessed predominantly the women's matchup between the Northern Raiders and the uh, Western Crusaders and then uh, a good portion of the men's game between the Monash Warriors and the Western Crusaders. It was a, it was a fun day. Did you enjoy yourself, first of all? I did very much. I think, as we said on, on the trip itself, you know, a lot of the enjoyment is just, you know, having two dudes you love football, driving down to Melbourne and then driving all the way back. But the football itself also was was really good, as, as we'll go into. Um, I think all around, it was quite a solid Sunday. It was indeed. And uh, just to, uh, to get the uh, listeners up to date, make sure everyone's given their dues. So the uh, Vic Bowl 35, we had four matchups, one at the JV level, which is the under-15s. The uh, number two, Croydon Rangers won their second JV Vic Bowl title in their third appearance on the big stage over the Geelong Buccaneers, who came into the game ranked first in their first season, and making the Vic Bowl in their first season. But the Croydon Rangers came away in the JV with a 30-12 to win over the Geelong Buccaneers. The Colts' result saw the undefeated Melbourne Uni Royals take on the third-place Western Crusaders, the Royals looking to go back-to-back at the Colts level, and they did just that, defeating the Western Crusaders 30-12. to So the same scores in the JV and the Colts games. The Melbourne Uni Royal Colts team goes back-to-back with a win over the Western Crusaders. So with that entree, out of the way and congratulations to all those teams and all those players involved and the coaches and parents and various support crews takes it. What is it? What's that saying? Teamwork makes the dream work. That's the one I found it. There are many, Uh, but I'll take it. (laughs) We can get into this women's grand final matchup, which was an absolute pearler between the number one ranked Northern Raiders going into this game undefeated taking on the Western Crusaders, whose only losses this season had come to this Northern Raiders team. And um, the Crusaders, the defending women's champions, these two teams had played some high-scoring matchups earlier in the season with the Raiders coming out by about 20 points both times. And look, this game played out just about the same. The Raiders eventually coming away with a 54 to 26 victory over the Crusaders. The teams combining for 80 points across the four quarters. Minnesota Jack, your initial takeaways from this game? I thought it was a really great contest. And I know the, the scores don't really suggest that. But I think from the first snap up until the end of the game, it felt like there was one score between them. Mm. And- you know, the, it always felt like this was the play that was then going to get them over the top. Or if they get this running touchdown, that's going to get the lead. And mm. I, that is the sign of a good game when 
even if the scores are kind of a bit of a blowout, it's still a good game if you feel like there's still only a score there. And yes, the Raiders did really run away with it and had some, you know, really good plays. I think the Crusaders kind of stayed in it. They put up their all and they fought down till that final whistle. And I think that that's really commendable and also translated into a really, really fun game to watch. Absolutely. And the, um, the game started with the, the Crusaders had possession and the run game was being held up by the Raiders defense. They, they managed to make two third down conversions through the air on third down and long. Uh, and I don't have many names for the team, if, if any at all, but um, number 19 wide receiver for the Crusaders was the main target in a lot of crucial uh, passing plays in this game for the Western Crusaders. So they get all the way down to the Raiders' goal line and then fumble the ball and the Raiders get the takeaway. The Raiders take full advantage of that opportunity and drive down the field to score and make the two-point conversion. They added another touchdown not long after before the Crusaders responded with a, with a touchdown. And at that point, the score was 14-6. to six. But that gave way to an absolute avalanche of 22 unanswered Northern Raiders points across the next quarter and a half with the score blowing out to 36 to six midway through the third uh, period of the game. And the Crusaders needed a spark and they got that through a long catch and run uh, before the run game drove in a uh, a vital touchdown and the two point conversion was good to make it 36 to 14. One thing that really stood out for me um, for the Raiders across that period where they scored those 22 unanswered points, their quarterback number 87, Mm. just absolutely dominating with that read option play where, where she would, you know, read whether the defender was going to come down to uh, attack or stay back to defend and just using it to absolute uh, perfection. And there was one play in particular that you and I were pretty convinced. We thought, oh, well, the ball carrier has been tackled and that's the end of the play. And all of a sudden you see the quarterback streaking down the sideline and she'd kept the ball, the ball and fooled the, the uh, Crusaders defense had fooled us. Mm. And I believe ran it in for a, for a pretty crucial touchdown. I believe so. And I think, I think we'd both agree that that was probably the play of the day. I had some good plays, in, not just in the women's game, I think in, in all the games you watch. But I think that comes pretty close as being the best play of the entire Big Bowl. I, I would agree. And I went back and watched some of the um, sort of highlights. I went back through the live stream. Mm. Um, once I was at home and just looked at those, I, I looked at that play in particular. And, and you could see something like that happening because they continually went back to that sort of read play and they were getting a lot of yardage out of it uh the other play that stood out for me uh came at the end of the game i believe it was the final score of the game was a pick six for the northern raiders um with one of their defenders doing a great job of jumping the route taking the ball and and just going the length of the field to score um Mm. it was a really good defensive play so the the, the Raiders, obviously, they, they led 36 to 14 after the Crusaders put that touchdown on the board in the third quarter. And the Crusaders then recovered a pretty gutsy onside kick and their sideline began to fire up. 
and that first snap led to a long catch and run down to near the goal line. They score a touchdown on a ball thrown to the flat. And the score is 36 to 20 with plenty of time left. The defense manages to get the Crusader, uh, the, the Raiders off the field. And suddenly you're thinking, if they score here, mm. it's 28 or 26-36 or 28-36, depending on if they make the conversion. And we've got a game on our hands. Uh, you could really feel that lift from the uh, Crusaders' sideline, couldn't you? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when you could feel that momentum coming, not only was it what you saw on the field, like you said, it's also what you could hear. All mm. of us on that sideline got roaring and, you know, the girls were cheering and, you know, you could just feel the energy go up. And mm. it wasn't even, like, token in any way. I feel like no. legitimately it felt like, the Crusaders are going to come back here. They're actually going to make a legitimate run to win this game. And I think that, you know, with comeback games, a lot of it is your determination and your skill and all that sort of stuff. But there is a little bit of just time management. And I think that they kind of left it a bit too late to be able to make any kind of an effect because by the time they started making that run towards taking the lead, the Raiders got their act together and then scored some more points. Yeah, and you, you look at that 22 unanswered points across the sort of the first half and a bit of the game down through midway through the third quarter where, where they led 36 to 6. You know, the Crusaders actually outscored the Raiders after that point. Um, mm. They scored 20 points to 18 from midway through the third quarter. But that 22-point section of the game it just blew things out beyond a manageable point. And after they got back to that 36-20, the offense couldn't quite land that blow. And then the Raiders landed a a massive strike of their own, a quick strike pass, good blocking up front, led to a touchdown on the first play of their next drive to make the score 42-20 to just before the end of the third quarter. And then the Raiders, I believe, came out just at the start of the fourth quarter and hit a deep ball touchdown to make it 48 to 20. And then you could really feel the fizz somewhat go out of the game. As, as you said, they, the credit to the Western Crusaders, they continually fought it out right to the, right to the end um, on every play. And that really impressed me. And obviously the, the spirit of the uh, defending champions, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, a massive congratulations to the Northern Raiders women's team. They were sort of the, the highlight of our Vic Bowl day with some of the plays that they made, both on offense and defense, and a, a really uh, honorable mention to the Western Crusaders who went down in a a real shootout of a game that was highly entertaining. I'll, we'll just briefly touch now on the men's game. We watched the first half of this before we had to head back up the highway. Um started to cop a little bit of sun and think, well, it'd be nice to be home before midnight um, with that three-hour drive on our hands. What I, from my perspective, and feel free to stop me if you've got points to add, but the, the Crusaders, this game between the, in the men's division, so the Western Crusaders take on the Monash Warriors, and for the context of the listener, the Western Crusaders were aiming for a third straight undefeated Vic Bowl winning season. The Warriors looking to get revenge uh, on the team that defeated them in the Vic Bowl last season. 
But the Warriors couldn't ever really get close. The Crusaders ended up winning this game, 36-6. to And what stood out to me was just the amount of sort of silk and poise on offense at crucial moments for the Crusaders and just too much firepower on defense that just continually stalled out uh, the Warriors' drives. Was that sort of how you felt about this game? Yeah, I'd agree, totally. I think that was definitely the main point to take away from it. I also thought, well, maybe the first half of that first quarter, mm. uh, and it started to dwindle, it seemed they were fairly on par. Like, mm. it seemed fairly competitive, but the Warriors just failed to make any impact. Mm. They were getting stops, they were getting down the field, they just couldn't score. And I think, as we said on the day, you can't do that for too long. Otherwise, mm. your offense starts to get tired, starts to lose belief, and then you get run over, which is what ended up happening. I think the Warriors had a had a real chance to win this game early on with mm. the momentum that was building, but they just couldn't get any reward for effort. And then quickly the Crusaders, with their silk and with their power, just ran over them, and then the Warriors could never recover. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly the note I had here. It was a real arm wrestle for much of that first quarter. But the Crusaders, as we said, the, the Warriors needed an opening score. They needed to get the first points on the board to sort of put the uh, the Crusaders on the back foot. Mm. But it was the Crusaders who put on two quick touchdowns either side of quarter time. And that just really made things tough uh, for the Monash Warriors as the crew took command of the game on the field and the scoreboard. They end up winning the Western Crusaders 36-6 to to complete a three-peat of undefeated championship-winning seasons. As I said, just too much quality at the key positions in the key moments. Uh, and I think that defense, um, you know, it's, it's easy to look at the, the score and say, whoa, they, they've put up 50-plus points on most of their opposition, you know, across the last month. And then again, you know, they've put 36 up. Mm. In the Vic Bowl, the underrated factor of all of this is just how good that Western Crusaders defense is, you know, consistently only giving up single score games. And to do that on the biggest stage against, you know, a one loss Warriors team is pretty impressive. Oh, for sure. I think that's the key. You know, it's, it's often said in this game, you know, defense wins games. Mm. I think it's, it's true. You need a complementary off- offense, mm. you need an offense that can score, but it's really the defense that will win or lose a game. And it happened with the Crusaders in that not only did they have a good defense, but they had a monstrous offense. And I don't think really any team could have beaten that. I think the Warriors, like I said, the Warriors had a chance to make a real impact mm. early on, but the only way to do that would be to have that opening score and put them on the back foot and maybe make the Crusaders doubt themselves, but they only gave the Crusaders more confidence, which is not what you want to do if you want to win the Vic Bowl. Absolutely. So to wrap up the results just quickly, or the, the winners in the JV division, it was the Croydon Rangers taking the, the Vic Bowl in the Colts division. It was the Melbourne uni Royals going back to back. In the women's, the Northern Raiders took the title. And in the men's, the Western Crusaders completing a three-peat of undefeated seasons to take their third Vic Bowl in as many years. So we headed back up the highway and 
flaked out, presumably, that evening. I know I was out pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a long day. But a worthy day. A day I would repeat. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you go to sleep Sunday and wake up Monday. And what do you hook into your veins on Monday morning, Minnesota Jack? Well, of course, you know, as per my name, I go and watch the Minnesota game. That's right. Was the first one to go straight to, and I. The Vikings are in an interesting spot. We both, you know, hold our destiny in our own hands, but also are really scared of the Rams yeah. <laughs> at the same time. So this was a necessary win, even though it seems obvious that we'd beat the Lions. You know, there are I think they only had three wins. You know, mm. seems like a pretty easy team to beat, but you never know. Mm. We ended up winning against the Broncos, but not for that first half. Same sort of situation. A low winning team at home. Surely we're going to win. So mm. I'm a little bit cautious about the Lions that about that game, but we ended up pulling through. It wasn't the most fun game to watch. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting, but we got stuff done. We mm. won the game. No injuries. We went through pretty much unscathed. And we kept their offense pretty much – it was almost a shutout until that fourth quarter, mm. at which case I think – and I know a lot of people online criticized Mike Zimmer for this, but on reflection, I think it actually was probably a good decision. The fact that we kind of let up on our defense in that last quarter, mm-hmm. uh, which gave up that touchdown. But I think you get to a point where you go, why risk the health of our players, you know? Mm. Why not just, we know we've got this game in the bag. Let's maybe just not go 100%. The game is won for us. Let the Lions score. And if they score, they score. If they don't, they don't. And we won. We won by over two touchdowns. So I think, you know, as always, people will criticize Mike Zimmer for a lot of stuff. And I think sometimes that's worthy. But I think this was a perfect example of get a good lead by halftime, make sure it's sizable, and then just bleed the clock out. And if that results in a touchdown, doesn't matter. We get the win. And I think that game was, it was a boring, but very good example of that sort of a win. Mm. And obviously you've got bigger fish to fry um, coming up. And, and one of those fish, although it seemed to be sort of flapping, gasping for air on the bank, uh, not so long ago, it was a big bear fish, the Chicago bears. Yes. And they came away with a 31 to 24 victory over the Dallas Cowboys, Mitch Trubisky playing his best game of the season, perhaps his best game of his career. The Dallas Cowboys could not make a tackle to save themselves or their coach. Mm. Though for reasons, Dallas, uh, Jason Garrett continues to be the head coach of the Cowboys, much to the enjoyment. I'm sure of the entire NFC East, because it seems while Jason Garrett's there, the Cowboys will just refuse to put away this division. Um, so specifically with the Vikings, uh, obviously the, the game before that had the loss to the Seahawks and we talked a little bit about the run game and, and that, you know, needing to get that run going if they were to, to manage an effective play action passing game. And I didn't get eyes on this game. I, I had my eyeballs locked on other screens, on other matchups. Mm. What were the takeaways, you know, in terms of, you know, some individual player performances from, from where you stood as a Vikings aficionado? So I think if we start 
from the obvious guy, and that's Kirk Cousins. Yep. He's, he's the back. He's the dude we're going to talk about. And as I alluded to in terms of the whole game, I think this applies to him as a player. Just efficient. Yep. Getting the job done. You know, he only scored a touchdown, but threw for 242 yards with the completion to attempts of 24 to 30. That is a pretty good game. <laughs> not amazing. He's not throwing five. He's, he's not Drew Brees. All right. He's not throwing five touchdowns and 400 yards or whatever, you know. Mm. But he got the job done. And I think that it worked because of a good rushing game by Dalvin Cook. Again, not great, but you don't need a great game when you're versing the Lions. Mm. You need a game that gets you over the line. Dalvin Cook ran for 62 yards and a touchdown, um, an average of 3.4 yards per snap. And I think, you know, you look at the stats and you go, if this was against the Packers, if this was against, or even the Chargers coming up on, on Monday, that wouldn't win a game. Mm-hmm. But the stats only look like that because we were playing a team like the Lions. And we have the ability to play much better. We've seen games like that. I think Kirk Cousins played a better game against the Seahawks, which is a losing game. But I think I just look at these stats and I go, they don't look great, but we won. And no interceptions for Kirk Cousins. He was efficient. He was a touchdown. That's a good game to me. And I think that he was well supported by Dalvin Cook as well as Alexander Madison. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a touchdown, but also ran for 46 yards. And Stephon Diggs, as a great receiver as he is, almost cracked 100 yards receiving, 92. And I think it just shows that everyone kind of stood up because if they didn't, they probably would have lost. This was the sort of game where people on the Vikings team, you know, chucked it away and went, you know, they're three and nine and, and, and a tie. We've got this, you know. Mm. If even a couple did that, you know, I think we'd be really worried. But everyone stood up. Everyone knew it was necessary. Everyone knew we've got to win this if we want to have a chance against the Packers, against the, the Bears. Everyone stood up. Everyone played their part. Wasn't the best game, but they got the job done and it resulted in a win, a good one. Uh, yeah, as we say, this uh, this part of the season, you need to stack those Ws and the Vikings get that done. And it's nice to see, you know, that the running back duo getting out, combining for over 100 yards rushing. That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the level where you want to be be at if you're going to run an effective balance of pass and rush is that, you know, around that hundred, you know, a bit over a hundred yards. And as you say, a really efficient game by the sound of Kirk Cousins. And that's all you really need from Cousins when the run game is in action and when the defense plays to its capacity. Um, So the question will be, are you more nervous uh, around the Rams or the Bears? Can I say both? Because I want, <laughs> yes. I think I, I it is interesting. I because the Bears are in the same division, mm. that bit of a you know a rivalry there. So in that way, it's kind of like we just want to shut them out. But if I if I had to look objectively at the Bears or the Rams, I think I'd have to be more worried about the Rams. Mm-hmm. I think because of how successful they were last year, I think that they're it. Because of this, they might not get to the playoffs, but I think it still is the case regardless. I think they're kind of peaking at the right time. You know, they're getting good wins and the momentum is going their way. I think 
the Bears are similar. Like I, I like I said, I want to pick both. If I had to mm. pick one, I'd pick the Rams. But the Bears are similar too, man. They they've got momentum going their way, coming off a good win against you know you know Dallas isn't as great as maybe we thought they were, mm. but still a win, especially for for their quarterback in Mitch. And I think both are really worrying to to have in the competition if you're a Vikings fan. Um, but I think the Rams just have a little bit more. It's more of a gut feel mm-hmm. on stats. I think they're just as worrying, um, but there's just a gut feel that the Rams are coming eight mm-hmm. and five. They're on their way. Well, the Rams too, uh, we can flip to talking a little bit about them. They played on Sunday night football. And I, did you get to watch this game? I watched a bit of it. It was kind yeah. of here and there. So uh, I've watched the entirety of it. The Rams come away with a 28 to 12 victory over the Seahawks, avenging, I believe it was a one point loss earlier this season in Seattle. Todd, I think that the real key to this, that some of the notes I took from this game was Todd Gurley looks like Todd Gurley. And suddenly the Rams offense looks like the Rams offense coincidence. I think not. This is the same sort of, um, you know, equation for the Rams as it is for the Vikings, as it is for a a few teams around the league, is that when your star running back or running backs, when your running game looks good and is uh, productive, then it allows you to do a lot more with the pass. They did some interesting things um, running some outside running plays as opposed to running through the middle of that Seahawks defense, the Seahawks sort of playing that, I believe it's sort of a six man defensive front, which is what um, they did last time to stop the Rams running game. Uh, The Rams this time using some guys in motion uh, across the formation. They also had Jared Goff rolling out, doing a lot of sort of bootleg plays and they, the Seahawks just could not stop this Rams offense for large chunks of the game. They, they suffered a little bit like Dallas did against the Bears in terms of being unable to lay a tackle and to make a stop. But Todd Gurley um, really looking like himself. And it's no coincidence that the Rams look like themselves. Um, the Seahawks offense, if the run game is stopped, then the passing game really comes down to Russell Wilson making magic happen and a lot of the times he can do that but the reality is they scored no offensive touchdowns in this game their one uh touchdown score came from a pick six um Mm. in this game and you know the, the rest was field goals the rams defense absolutely swarmed the seahawks uh offense and i i think that's you know, a, a massive part of what the Rams are, are doing at the moment is the pressure that they're able to get to the quarterback of the opposition. And then this offense looks as productive as it has done the last couple of years. So they've found something late in the season. And I agree with you. I think the Rams are the biggest threat to the Vikings in the playoff um, race. I th- I have a feeling the Bears, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors, maybe. Yeah. Um, the, the Rams do look threatening. I, 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 you know, it's a, I know it's a, just a sort of a two-game sample size against the Cardinals and, and now this. But, you know, this Seahawks team are a legitimate 
uh, Super Bowl contender by by most measures, and the Rams basically had their way with them for sixty minutes. Oh yeah, I I just I looked at that game you know, of the bits that I watched and the highlights. Where was Russell Wilson? Where mm. was Russell Wilson? Was he partying on the beaches of Malibu while he was there in LA? Like <laughs> he was not there at all. And like you said, when when that run game is stopped, and this is applicable to to any team. Um, but especially a team like the Seahawks. Mm. When the run game is stopped, you are so limited with what you can do mm. in the past. And mm. it's tough because it's tough to know how much one game can affect. Because obviously he's still a great quarterback. Mm. This is not a game that you want on your ledger. You do not want this game as Russell Wilson. As you said, he just wasn't throwing the kind of passes that you would think he would throw in a game like this mm-hmm. where you're down, you need some magic. Whereas, you know, it's Wilson time. It was none of that. And, and I, I said to you in the, in the car on our way back from the Vic bowl back mm. on the way, I remember, I remember my uh, pick for super bowl winner. Oh, yes. was the Orcs. Mm-hmm. I think my opinion may have been changed a little bit by the game. <laughs> And, and so, yeah, it's interesting, you know, and a guy like Russell Wilson, he, he's not going to attract the same sort of criticism as a Kirk Cousins, you know, when he loses these games, because he has, you know, he's, he's got those sort of Monday night football, Sunday night football uh, wins on his ledger. But, but I, I tend to agree. And I, and I think part of it is the Seahawks uh, play calling at times leaves a lot to be decided. It seems at times like a bit of a bits and pieces offense. Um, and, and really it's going to be interesting to see how they go down the stretch. Obviously getting to play home games in Seattle is a, is a major advantage if they can get home seating in the playoffs, but that's, that's far from guaranteed in a week where the 49ers came away with such a massive win uh, over the Saints, mm. and it's all—it's worth remembering that the New Orleans Saints went into Seattle and beat the Seahawks earlier in the year. So if it comes down to a head-to-head matchup deciding who gets home ground advantage, and the Seahawks, you know, if they had to play the Saints, for instance, are going to be heading down to New Orleans to the Superdome. So I think there's a, there's so much left to be decided um, in this sort of playoff. Uh, formation as we head into the last few weeks of the season. But yeah, the Seahawks uh, did not a lot to impress me against the Rams, although they have got some games in my bank, in my memory bank that sort of, you know, they get a general tick across the season, but, I, but I thought there were some, some obvious weaknesses and, and deficiencies there. And as far as the Rams goes, the Rams just played, you know, again, they've, probably played their two best games of the season in back-to-back weeks. And it's a good time of the year to be doing that. Yeah. And if you have to look in a positive direction, which is good every now and then, if, if you're a Seahawks fan or if you're, you know, part of the Seahawks management, if you're a player, if you are the Seahawks, right. Mm. Out of this game, this has to be a one and done thing. This has to be, let's watch the film. Let's see what we did wrong. A lot of it was wrong, so let's watch a lot of the film and see what went wrong, right? Yeah. 
and that will never happen again. That's how you have to look at this game and go, that was one and done, one hit wonder, it's out of there. From now on, it's win-win. We're, you know, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. And I think there's... I think Seahawks... Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the Rams really came out with the intention to punch Seattle in the in the mouth, basically, after after the loss that they had up in Seattle, which was, you know, the Rams missed a field goal at the buzzer, which would have won the game um, mm. and, and could have sent this division in a much different direction, you know, depending on which side of the post that that kick falls. I think there was definitely... And I think that's been a thing for the Rams all season after their loss in the Super Bowl last season, after people said that they shouldn't have got there after the, you know, pass interference call that wasn't made against um, Michelle Roby Coleman in the NFC Championship game against the Saints. I think this Rams team has had a chip on their shoulder. They've had some things to work out. They've faced some adversity. I think it's, you know, and it's easy to write off a team when they're six and six or whatever they are. They're six and six? No, they were um, six and five. Maybe six and six. Yeah. Because they're eight and five now, aren't they? Um, You know, but this is still a team with what I think is a a pretty good quarterback when he's got, you know, his all-star running back playing well, when the offensive line does a good job of protecting him. And they've certainly done that in back-to-back weeks. And then, you know, you've got one of the brightest minds in the game working on a game plan in Sean McVay and – you know, don't count out the uh, the Rams' defensive coordinator either, whose name frustratingly escapes me. Um, happens off, off the top of my head. It does it does, and it's 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 a frustrating one because it's so it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, but anyway, um, so the Rams get that win. Just to quickly run through a couple of other results, uh, the. What did we have? We had the Falcons beating the Panthers, forty to twenty. Um, I don't think that's going to. Well, who knows? It could be enough to save Dan Quinn's job by the end of the season. I don't think so. I think they'd have to win out yeah. um, to save Quinn's job. Uh, the Buccaneers defeated the Colts, thirty-eight to thirty-five. It was the quintessential Jameis Winston game. You know, up over that three hundred and fifty yards, four touchdowns and three interceptions. They beat the Colts. The Dolphins lose to the Jets 22 to 21 in a game that I'm pretty sure broke the record for the most made field goals. Um, and it was controversially decided by a field goal that came courtesy of a, a pass interference call that was um, called. I don't, it wasn't called on the field, but it was then called in by New York, uh, mm. which left Dolphins coach Brian Flores fuming. The 49ers pull out a field goal at the buzzer, courtesy of a George Kittle catch and monster run down the sideline with only seconds on the clock. The 49ers beat the Saints 48-46. to The Lions, obviously we touched, lost to the Vikings 7-20. to The Broncos, the Denver Broncos, just destroyed the Texans. 38-24. to you know, Drew Locke, I'm going to go back and get eyes on this game. Did you see any of this? Just the highlights, yeah, not, not live. Drew Locke, Drew Locke um, you know, maybe starting to look like the a potential face of the franchise for the future. Um, he certainly has the look of a starting quarterback and starting to maybe put some, some, uh, some points on the board. 
late in this season with this opportunity he's been given? What did he look like just in the highlights packet? Just confident. He just yeah. looked like he looked like a franchise quarterback. He looked so like there, a dude who's running the Broncos. So were there a lot of um, – I mean, obviously, it's the highlights. So you can, and as I said, I want to go back and watch this game in the condensed version. Um mm. Was he making sort of lots of uh, some good deep ball throws, or was it sort of short sideways passes? You know, those yard after the catch where the wide receiver does most of the work. Could you... I think it was both. Which yeah. I think that's sort of what you want with a guy like Drew Locke. Mm. You want him throwing deep balls every play; otherwise, he's just going to throw an interception every play, mm. and yeah. then you ruin the kind of confidence that he might be building. I think it was a bit of both. Really efficient. 300 yards for 22 out of 27. He did throw an interception, which, you know, that's going to happen. Interceptions happen. Mm. Three touchdowns. I think that was just a good game by Drew Locke. And, you know, I'm looking forward now seeing just the highlights of that game. Now I want to watch more of the Broncos just to see how he responds after such a good game there. Yeah, and I think they've definitely wound into form at the end of the, so across the second part of this season. And Vic Fangio, as the new head coach, has certainly done a, enough of a job, I think, obviously with the defense. So that was his sort of calling card coming over from the Chicago Bears. But but now the offense seems to be turning a corner with Drew Locke. And, you know, they're not playing any chumps. They're playing the, a, a division-leading team in the Texans. Uh, and that really throws the cat amongst the pigeons for the Texans because they – you know, they've got some hard games, which we'll touch on courtesy of another AFC South team shortly. Uh, the Packers sort of scraped by against the Redskins 20 to 15. It's, it's another W for the Packers. But you know what? I think I'm less and less convinced by this Green Bay team. I, I think they're a little bit of a uh, an NFC mirage and... Um, Look, to be completely honest, I wouldn't be wholly surprised to see the Vikings steal the division from the Packers at this point. I think that's that's not unreasonable. I think that that's definitely a possibility. I really thought, again, I only, I only kind of followed the scores of this game, didn't really watch much of it at all. But of mm. what I was thinking, it really seemed like if the Redskins were just a tad bit better, they probably would have won. I think the momentum was going their way but the Packers just had a bit more class as they as they do. But I would agree. I think I'm I'm not confident that they're going to lose the division. Mm. But then they're getting so close, and you can only be so close so many times. You can imagine a universe in which the uh, Vikings usurp the Packers at the top mm-hmm. of that uh, NFC North. Um, just a couple of other games which I'm assuming I I didn't watch. I'm assuming you didn't. The uh, and stop, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Browns beating the Bengals 27 to 19. No, yeah. The Jaguars copping an absolute pasting. The LA Chargers dropping a 40 burger on them, 45 to 10. Philip Rivers. Happy about Monday. <laughs> Sorry. <to> 10. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't look. If I'm going to get up early to watch football, it's not to watch the Bengals, Browns, Chargers, or Jaguars. Um, did you get any coverage of the Ravens and Bills? I watched the final quarter. Uh, I watched the final quarter live, so I didn't really see much of the build-up to it. But it seems pretty close. I'm assuming you watched the whole game. I actually didn't. I, I, I had eyes on a couple of other games. And I, again, I, I had intended to go back and watch 
49ers and Saints. I'd intended to go back and watch Denver and the Texans, Ravens and Bills. Um, but I just haven't got there yet. As I said, life has kind of got in the way this week of my mm. footballing fiesta. Um, but from what I gather, the Ravens sort of got out to a handy lead and then the Bills fought back. One point to note before I throw to you for, from what you saw in the last quarter, uh, that there was a stat thrown out on a podcast I listened to that the Ravens had something like a quarter of their entire punts for 2019 against the Bills. I think they only punted three times, but that is basically accounts for 25% of their season's punts. Um, so the Bills, by the sound of things, did you know a relatively effective job of limiting Lamar Jackson um, particularly on the ground, he had 11 rushes for 40 yards at just three and a bit yards per carry. Mm. Through the air, he was more efficient, 16 of 25 for 145 with three touchdowns and the interception. It seemed to me a little bit like if Josh Allen could have hit some more passes, he was sacked six times, but he completed just 17 of 39 passes, that perhaps this Bills team could have won. What were your thoughts watching that final quarter? I think some similarities could be drawn to the women's Vic Bowl game we watched. Mm-hmm. If, if only they didn't leave it too late. I think, yeah. like you said, Josh Allen was just nowhere near as efficient as you should be as a quarterback who wins a game. Mm-hmm. Going 17 of 39 with only one touchdown, I don't see how you can win a football game like that unless you're you know, playing the Bengals. Like if you're playing the Ravens, there's no way you can win a football game 17 out of 39 for a touchdown. And they did, they almost got there though. So that definitely says something of the Bills that they had a, a fairly average quarterback performance and yet they got within a touchdown. Hmm. So that's saying something, but I think the Ravens are too good. They held up Lamar Jackson and they still lost. I think that the Ravens are just too good of a team and the Bills just left it too late with the Josh Allen that wasn't performing at the level that he could have been. I'm really interested to see like his development as a player. I think he played exceptionally well against Dallas. He's put together the best month and a half uh, of his NFL career. He's only been around a couple of years. Um, and I think he's, he's been able to limit his turnovers, particularly his interceptions. I think one of the things they need to develop with him is more security when he runs. He, you know, he's prone to fumbling the ball, and and if they could get that tidied up, he becomes such a threat both with his arms and his leg. There'd be few players with as strong an arm as Allen in the NFL. But another thing I'm interested to see is the development of his coaching staff. I think Sean McDermott is one of the rising coaches in the NFL. He's one of my favorite people to follow. Just an understated and humble. Um, competitor and someone who I think is is trending this Bills team in a really positive direction. And I think um, attention to detail and doing those small um, processes well every time is something that's, you know, key to how he sees the game. But also his nous as a coach, you know, I, I think there were moments um, – last uh, a few weeks ago I can't remember the matchup maybe it was against Dallas in fact where he called a timeout after the Cowboys had lined up to go for it I think that that was the case that he, he, he they did I can't remember this specific example whether he 
he lined up as if they were going to go for it on fourth down and he put a man in motion and he sort of, then he called a timeout and they punted. But the commentator remarked, that is McDermott getting an opportunity to look at how Dallas's defense is responding to particular plays. So he's getting mm-hmm. sort of a free look at, at Dallas's, you know, fourth down or third down defense um, sort of for free um, when he knew he was going to punt. So there's little things like that. And the matchup I'm most interested to see for the Bills on the rest of their schedule, and they've got a tough run home, um, let it be known. I know that I can't remember what the third game is, but I know they've got the Steelers in Pittsburgh and then they travel also to New England. But that's the game I'm fascinated to see because as you said, the Bills were so close, and mm. that's but but they left it too late, and they sort of mucked a few things up, and and Josh Allen a few sort of errors cost them the game. Well, that was the game against the Patriots earlier in the, earlier in the season in Buffalo. They didn't lose by a lot and rallied in the game late and looked for all money as though they were going to come back and steal that game uh, before Josh Allen got knocked out. Um, I'm interested to see how they match up second time around against this Patriots team, how does this team adapt on the second time against against a side? Have they learned things from those mm-hmm. close losses? Are they going to improve things? So I'm, I'd be interested to see what, what a matchup with the Ravens would look like off the back of this seven-point loss, you know, come playoff time. And I, th- I think we're going to get a little bit of a hint of how much progress the Bills have made when they go to New England and take on the Patriots. Especially considering the difference between the Patriots then and now. Yeah. I am not confident in the Pats whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I watched the Chiefs Patriots game. Perfect segue. My- That's what I was going to talk about next. Mm. <laughs> like leads in perfectly. Yes. So I go think I'll, I'll just go right into it. I think the Chiefs, they're officially my second team now. Officially my second team. Because they beat I, New England? <laughs> yes, just because of that. Well, that's, you know, that's obviously an element. Everyone loves <laughs> the Patriots. Um, but I just love the way they played. They completely outplayed New England. And, you know, the final score was 23 to 16. That makes it seem much closer than it was. Mm. Patriots came back in that second half and really kind of pushed for the win. But, again, left it too late. And... I think just Mahomes didn't have a great game, but just did enough to keep the first downs coming and keep pushing forward and getting scores. And they were held up in that second half. You know, that's absolutely true. But Mm. this is the Patriots in New England, Mm. and they beat them. That is not good news if you're a Patriots fan. And I, I think it was, if you look at that as the Bills, you go, we have a chance here if we just maybe throw a little bit more efficiently, you know, get out of the gate, you know, bursting with energy, mm. probably take this one. Well, I think if you look back to that game earlier in the season against the Bills, you know, Josh Allen came out of the game through two interceptions early in that game. They had a one of New England's touchdowns came off a, a blocked punt that they ran in. You know, there were a lot of things had to come together for New England to win. And, you know, to be honest, I, I've kind of, I, I feel similarly to what you do across the season about the Patriots. And that is that they've had to put together wins in so many different ways to cover up some pretty glaring weaknesses, particularly on the offense. I, 
And again, I, I want to preface all these statements as I normally do, that I personally do not think that Tom Brady has ever been the Patriots' greatest weapon. The greatest weapon is that cloaked wizard on the sideline, Chill Lick Albib. Uh, yeah. Bill Belichick, as he's commonly known, um, mm. he he is the greatest weapon, p- perhaps possessed by any team in the NFL. And it's, it's one reason why I will just never count the Patriots out once playoff time comes around. And, you know, they're going to make playoffs, barring an absolute slaughterhouse of drama occurring in, in the last month of the season for them. And once it gets to the playoffs, I, I just think he just has such a great mind for the game, such a great mind for working out what you do and stopping you from doing it and just finding enough, not just on offense, but defense and special teams. But with all of that said, I, I made a note here, which was, where is it? Okay, here we go. If not for who he is and what he's done in the game, if Tom Brady was not called Tom Brady, if he was any other quarterback, if this was a team, any other team in the league with what's going on at the quarterback position, with what's going on on offense, mm-hmm. I personally think that the Patriots would have considered to ha- having a look at, at backup quarterback Jarrett Stidham. If, again, if it was another, t- and obviously you can't, it's sort of a silly argument because the Patriots are the Patriots and Tom Brady is Tom Brady and they've done what they've done over the last 20 years. But honestly, I do think you can see, and there's Tom Brady at one point in his career was a guy who could elevate what was around him. I do not think he can do that anymore. I think he needs weapons at his disposal he still has one of the best minds at quarterback. But the thing is, the offensive line isn't protecting him as well as it has been. And he hasn't got the sort of weapons on offense. You know, the Gronkowskis or even earlier this season, Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown, who were on, you know, who was on the roster for all of two games. Um, this is not a quarterback who can overcome those sorts of obstacles. In my in my opinion, and who knows, he could turn around and do something remarkable. I, I that's that's what the Patriots traditionally have done. But if you watched the game against the Chiefs, he looked sufficiently rattled. He was trash talking with with the Chiefs defense, who were giving him hell every time they sacked him. I, I think I don't personally think we've heard the last of the talk that that. Tom, that there's some contention in New England as to whether Tom Brady is going to be a Patriot next season. I think Tom Brady wants to play NFL next season, and ideally that would be at the New England Patriots. I think there is some question as to whether or not the Patriots see Tom Brady as their quarterback in 2020. And I know that Patriots fans are like, oh, whatever, you know, he's the greatest of all time. He probably is. Mm-hmm. But Time eventually, eventually catches up and, and they could still go and win a Super Bowl. But my question is, do you want this version of Tom Brady at quarterback, given the lack of weapons you have at your disposal, or do you want a, a younger quarterback and, and you take all the, the disadvantages that gives you, but a guy who perhaps is more physically able 
to overcome the challenges on offense when your offensive line isn't protecting you and when you don't have the weapons at your disposal disposal mm. to make you better. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And and again, it's I, I just was utterly unconvinced by what I saw. And, you know, there are a lot of problems. And I, I thought against the Chiefs, Tom Brady was one of the problems. Yeah. And you can tell that the offense is flawed when you know, a lot of your progress down the field and first downs is trick plays or trying to get a pass interference on a deep play. Yes. You know, and that works. Like, there's no doubt that is for the Patriots right now is not a bad way to get down the field. Mm. Yes, it's not as legit as you'd like to see, but it's getting them first downs. It's getting them all the way. But that is, to me, a sign of a... Well, that's not inherently a sign of a flawed offense, but to me, it's a sign of an offense of an offense that has issues. When you're playing against the Chiefs and you're behind and you need a win, and you can't pull yourself out, and, you can pick plays and you can try and you know get flags, but if you can't pick yourself up by some good passing or rushing, to me, that doesn't look convincing. Yeah, and I suppose the scary thing ultimately is that they only fell a touchdown short in the end. And, and you yeah. know, had the ball late trying to win, it was only that the Chiefs stopped them in the end zone on fourth and fourth down that they yeah. that they ultimately perhaps didn't tie this game up and take it to overtime. It's just that thing that, as I said, I don't think Brady is their biggest weapon. Their biggest weapon has always been the guy who's at the controls Um and that's why I will never count the Patriots out. But I, there is a, the clock is ticking faster on Tom Brady's uh, career at the Patriots than than some people would have you think. And and that's kind of obvious. He's he's he's, he's past the forty mark. Mm-hmm. It's almost you know every extra season that he plays is more surprising than than him not kind of thing. Yeah. And I, but. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are, are, are a reasonable team. I think that their defense is better than it was last season. I think their offense is still having uh, – it's having a, a come a come down year after, you know, what was an absolutely extravagant um, display in 2019 – so uh, 2018. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens when they hit playoffs. They obviously beat the Ravens earlier this season, which is a massive scalp to have. Um. I quickly want to touch on the Steelers Cardinals. Did you watch that game? Again, last quarter. That seems okay. to be a lot of the games that I catch on. So I'll quickly run you through that before I before we discuss the final matchup that I wanted to look at. But the Steelers and Cardinals, I watched this. This is the first Steelers game I've watched live in a while. I've kind mm. of as a really passionate Steelers supporter, I sometimes find it super stressful to watch them. Um but this week I was like, ah, oh, stuff it. I'm going to get into it. I'm just going to enjoy the ride. And, and what a ride it was. The Steelers coming out of Arizona with a 23 to 17 victory over the Cardinals. This is the sort of game that the Steelers in past seasons would lose. You know, having beaten some, some better placed teams, they would then go on the road and, and you know, choke on, mm. on a salad dweller. Um, but the Cardinals are, are a little better than a salad dweller, to be honest. That they have started to look better across the season. You can see what's going to be in place in 2020 and beyond. But the point that I came away, the two points here, the Steelers' defense are total and utter chaos makers. Mm-hmm. 
Bud Dupree with nine and a half sacks this season. Cam Hayward, eight sacks. TJ Watt, 12 and a half sacks. Mark Barron with three sacks. Hargrave with four. Tuitt with three and a half. And Williams with two. On the interception front, you've got Minka Fitzpatrick with five. TJ Watt with two. Joe Hayden with four. Devin Bush, the rookie out of Michigan, with two. And he also leads the team in tackles with 88. This is a Steelers defense that is just super entertaining to watch. So fun to root for. Mm. And, and the offense is certainly more capable of moving the ball down the field with Duck Hodges at quarterback. And he's had less to work with in terms of talent than Mason Rudolph. No Smith Schuster, no James Connor. And yet he's formed a mind meld with James Washington. And then this week it was Deontay Johnson mm. for a little st- statistical, uh, Sweetener for you, Minnesota Jack. Duck Hodges is averaging eight and a half yards per attempt, which puts him in the top four, I believe, in the league. And he's completing 71.3% of his passes. He's a more confident vertical thrower than Rudolph and seems to have just this natural confidence. Now, I don't think this team can win the Super Bowl unless some absolutely alchemical transformation takes place across the last month of the season. But I think the fact that they are guaranteed to at least finish eight and eight, even if they lost out their last three games, that is, you know, close to a miraculous um, return on a season that has been mud by star players no longer being on the roster and star players being ravaged by injury. Did you have any takeaways from this game? <laughs> that that's pretty much my my exact thoughts. I think. There are very, there aren't a lot of defenses like the Steelers out there at the moment who are playing the way they play, but also do it so effectively. Mm. You do not want to face the Steelers in the playoffs, which they really should get to. You know, there's there's a chance that they they won't, obviously, as mm. is with you know most wild card spots. But you do not want to face this defense, and the offense is coming up. They've you know Hodges is making a statement. He is playing so well for, for the player he is. You, you look at that Steelers team and you go, yeah, they're, they're eight and five. They're, you know, vying for that wild card spot. They're not a Ravens, you know. Mm. They're, they're not a Chiefs. They're not a Packers. They're not these, they're not a team that's up there as Super Bowl favorites. Mm. But man, they're, they're a dark horse. I think they're not to the, not to the degree that the Rams are now, but I think to some degree, they're kind of peaking at a really, really good time. They're mm. coming up, they're getting wins, they're winning games they should be. There are flaws, as there are with any team, but man, if they make playoffs, they could go anywhere. I, I, I don't think they'll make the Super Bowl, just because only two teams can. You know, There's a lot of teams that I think are a bit better than the Steelers, but man, they, they have a shot. I think that things have got to go their way. That's for sure. They can't take any bad luck. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they play deep in, into the playoffs, I think. They're, they've got a real chance if they just continue on this trajectory, which is mm. not a guarantee. You know, teams fall off. But if they continue the way they're going, I, I have some good confidence in their abilities. Well, I think too, you know, what's heartening as a Steelers fan, this has been the the most fun I've had rooting for the Steelers fan in the last several seasons 
Because there aren't the egos. There aren't the superstars, you know, bitching and moaning on the sideline. You know, you've got, you know, undrafted free agents and, you know, late round draft picks and, you know, guys who have been overlooked and, you know, you're winning with defense predominantly and it just feels like throwback football. And, Mm. you know, I think, you know, what really, I think this is a Super Bowl winning defense. Unfortunately, you've probably got a, a, a bottom third of the league offense. And, you know, that's, you know, a lot to do with the talent, the, 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 the lack of, of obvious premium talent at the different positions. You know, it could be a, a slightly different um, proposition if you had James Conner back at running back and you had Juju Smith-Schuster and, you know, but, but they're playing with what they've got and I've been impressed with what the Duck has managed to do. And he's just an easy guy to, to cheer for. And I, I just hope he keeps winning. I hope we keep him around next season. I, I would love to see him, you know, make a name for himself, as, as he already sort of has. Um, so, with that wild card um, sort of shenanigans that we talk about, and, and this has been, the show has been winding to this point, Minnesota Jacks. Now, this team... Labeled as, you know, a bunch of try-hard buffoonery. Yes. By some. Uh, mocked roundly. Mm-hmm. This team, for me, could be the ultimate, the, the darkest of horses in the AFC. The Tennessee Titans... Taking on the Oakland Raiders, this was my secondary screen game. I had the Steelers game going, and at the same time on a second screen, I had the Titans and Raiders. And every time I looked up, Ryan Tannehill was throwing a deep touchdown pass. (laughs) Have you watched this game? I haven't. Everyone on any NFL show is talking about how well the Titans are playing, and I've not been watching their their games. I have to. I just keep hearing so many good things. Do it. Go go back and watch. I'm going to go back and watch this. As I said, it was my secondary screen, so I didn't have the sound on on it. Mm. But for the love of God, Ryan Tannehill looks like an entirely different quarterback from what he was in Miami. Now, this offense has exploded under the ex-Dolphins QB, particularly across the last month. He's completing more than 70% of his passes and going at a league high 9.8 yards per attempt. He's also leading the league in passer rating with 118.5. He's leaning on his running back, Derek Henry, who is second in yards with 1,243 rushing yards, second in rushing yards per game with 95.6 per game and first in rushing touchdowns, 13. This team ranks ninth in the league for points conceded per game with just 19.6 points per game. And they rank 10th for points scored per game, averaging 24.5. But that number is a lot higher since Tannehill took over. So the last month of play, their games have gone. A 35-32 to 32 win against the Chiefs. A 42-20 to 20 win against the Jaguars. A 31-17 to 17 win against the Colts. And a 42-21 to 21 win against the Raiders. They have scored 150 points in their last four games, averaging 37.5 points. And they've conceded 90 points in those four games, averaging two and a half points against 
They are eight and five, and their fixture is what makes this interesting. So they have the Houston Texans in Tennessee, then the New Orleans Saints in Tennessee, and then they finish at the Texans. The, the, the slippery subplot to all of this is that the Texans share the division with them. And if the Titans were to beat the Texans twice, the Tennessee Titans would win the division and likely knock the Texans out of the playoffs. Who would have thought? Seriously, man, this team, they are fun to watch. They just chunk off huge yardage plays. They're playing with a real swagger. I love Mike Rabel, their coach. This quarterback just seems just a, a legitimate boost to this team. I, I highly recommend you go back and watch it. And I think this is a team that they're fun to watch. And you could not say that about the Tennessee Titans at the start of the year or for, for many years previously. They are just super, super fun to watch play. And the fact that they have such a balanced offense that they can lean on Derrick Henry, who's averaging almost 100 yards rushing, or Tannehill with his 9.8 yards per attempt. I think this is a really threatening team, and I was worried as a Steelers fan, oh, they could knock us out of the playoffs. But if they make the playoffs, it'll likely be because they made they win their division. And if they win their division, the Texans won't have a good enough record, most likely, to knock yeah. the Steelers out. So... Win-win. It is. So we somehow covered most of the league. All of the league. We talked about all the games. It's true. We've been going now, Minnesota Jack, for almost 70 minutes. That's the way. But just before we go, let's let's take five, ten minutes. Let's dive in. Give people a quick update on the, uh, the Madden situation. I'll... Mine is perhaps less thrilling than yours. My my Buffalo Bills currently sit at twelve and one after a mediocre eight and eight season last year. We've we've opened up the playbook, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We, we've uh, we've decided. I've found a few running players that I really like, but but then I'm I'm leaning on my pass game a lot more, just a lot more, being more aggressive, going for it on fourth down more often, and having faith that our defense, which is ranked number one in the league, can get turnovers and interceptions. And look, we just keep doing it. Just an update on my most recent game. We got revenge on the Patriots for beating us in the one game that we've lost this season, which was a game that I foolishly hit advance week on and it simmed the game for me and lost the game for me, which is the only loss we've had all year. But I got revenge. I beat the Patriots 17-9 to in the snow in Buffalo. We picked off their quarterback three times. It was utterly sweet. So we're playoff bound. We've got uh, games against the uh, Jags and the Dolphins and perhaps the Chargers left in the regular season. But but I want to dive into your game. And you you, you messaged me, a fellow coach, messaging yeah. a fellow coach with a dilemma. It has been quite a roller coaster. So, oh, started the season fairly well. Four and two, winning games, throwing balls, getting out throwing there. Throwing balls! It was going around. We were winning games, lost some close ones, starting off well. Then... It was as if I made some unknown sacrifice to Satan and I begun down a path of 
four straight losses, all within a score, including two games back-to-back that we lost by one point. It was utterly destroying. And as I said to you, I had to take a break. You're thinking about stepping away from the game. You're wondering if you could do this. Was it, was, you know, that classic thing, the, the pain of losing was outweighing the satisfaction of victory. Yes. It was getting in my head. I was throwing interceptions. I was just not, the running game wasn't working. Throwing controllers. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) But 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 you turned things around. Exactly. I took that break and I went, all right, we're going to just go in. We're going to win this game. Next game is against the Chiefs. They've won one game for the entire season. This is a gimme. We've got to have this one. So I go in. I've had the... It was. I originally planned to have like a couple days break. I could only last a day. And then I had to go back in. You had to get back in the office and open up the playbook and, you know, you're, you're tinkering around with things. You've got to get it switched around. Yeah. I had to look in and see what is the root of the problem. Where are our strengths? You know, we had some key injuries, you know, three of our best wide receivers are out. So that didn't help. But I had to find what we could do to win. And we won against the Chiefs, I think, by by a field goal. It was close. They were slinging the football down on that final drive to try and steal it. We intercepted, got the win. That was so needed. I couldn't handle five losses in a row. But this started a very, very nice four-win four-win streak. We then won another close game, which is good. Then we won, I think we beat the Eagles, which is a divisional rival for us Redskins, Mm -hmm. by 15 points. And then we beat the Giants, who were leading our division and one of the best teams in the league at nine and four. We beat them in New York by about a touchdown. You beat the G-Men! We were there. We were ready, and we got the game. So we went from a four-game losing streak to a four-game winning streak in the playoff contention, but there are two games to go. They aren't gimmies, and I'm not sure where we're going to end up. I think I might might still get fired, but (laughs) there's a chance chance we're going to make it into January. Well... Look, I think this is something that's definitely content worth touching back on as we progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the listener will obviously be hanging on to uh, the storyline of the uh, Minnesota Jack-led Washington Redskins as they quest for the promised land of the Super Bowl. And I'll definitely get another installment of that from you in yes. the very near future. Until then, though, I think I will let you get away back to your uh, Thursday evening. Go watch that Titans-Raiders game. I'm so excited. Get I'm ready. The 40-minute 40, the 40 condensed mode. Yes. Play after play, I'm ready. Oh, so good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Minnesota Jack. Always appreciate it. And I'm going to promise to have that sound drop for you next time, but it probably won't happen. Thanks, man. I don't mind. Good to be here. (laughs) See ya. See ya.
Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. A big thanks to Minnesota Jack bringing his northern experiences to the JBFE and our listenership. And thanks to you for lending your ear holes to be filled to the brim with this footballing soup that we have harvested and and cooked for you. If you want to get in contact, you can follow me on Facebook or on Instagram, the Jake Botel Football Experience, or you can send us an email, thejbfe at gmail.com. That's the word, the jbfe at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you again soon. It's the JBFE. You've been great. I've been reasonable. I will be in your ears soon.